Welcome to eBible Fellowship's Sunday Bible Study. For broadcast times in your area of these studies, visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com. And now it's time to begin our Sunday study with your speaker, Chris McCann. Hello and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Sunday Afternoon Bible Study. Today we're going to be taking a look at the three main Hebrew feasts that God instituted for national Israel. And we're going to see how each one of the feasts ties in to uh, God's program of times and seasons. Now, we've discussed this before, and normally in passing, and, and since we're getting closer to the very likely spiritual fulfillment of the the third and final feast of tabernacles as October 7th in 2015 is the last day of the feast of tabernacles. And it is that 1600th day since May 21, 2011. And also the 10,000th overall day since judgment began at the house of God. I thought it would be good for us to review and go over the three main feasts and and to uh, see how God did spiritually fulfill each one of the feasts and why it is that the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles is so significant. Let's start by reading in Exodus 23, beginning in verse 14. Three times thou shalt keep a feast unto me in the year. Thou shalt keep the feast of unleavened bread. Thou shalt eat unleavened bread seven days, as I commanded thee, in the time appointed of the month of Bib. For in it thou camest out from Egypt, and none shall appear before me empty. And the feast of harvest, the first fruits of thy labors, which thou hast sown in the field, and the feast of ingathering, which is in the end of the year, when thou hast gathered in thy labors out of the field. Three times in the year, all thy males shall appear before the Lord Jehovah. In this passage, God is emphasizing three main feasts. And of course, the number three relates to the purpose of God. And these three feasts are God's purpose regarding his times and seasons for the gospel. Actually, it's uh, not a coincidence that in Joel chapter 2, God speaks of three periods of rain. Why don't we turn there quickly in Joel 2. It says, beginning in verse 23, Be glad then, ye children of Zion, and rejoice in Jehovah your God. For he has given you the former rain moderately, or actually that's better translated, the former righteous rain. And he will cause to come down for you the rain, the former rain, and the latter rain in the first month. And the former rain, the second mention, is the early rain. The early rain identifies with that season of first fruits, and the latter rain identifies with the final harvest in the seventh month, just as the Feast of Harvest that we read of in Exodus 23 speaks 
of a two-part feast, first fruits and the feast of ingathering, which comes in the end of the year. And so the three main feasts really identify with the three periods of rain. As we'll see, that Christ was the fruit that came as a result of the early righteous rain, and then the early rain brought in the first fruits, and the latter rain brought in the final fruits at the end of the year, or the end of God's gospel program. And so these three main feasts were to be kept, and the Israelite males were to appear before God. And of course, if they were going to Jerusalem to keep the feast, they would also bring their families. And actually, we have a very good record of that in the New Testament concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. In Luke chapter 2, it says in verse 40, And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. And when they had fulfilled the days as they returned, the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother knew not of it. So here God tells us it was their custom to go to Jerusalem to the feast. Now, why would it be their custom? Because it was commanded by God of all the males. And so if a man got married, he would bring his wife, he would bring his children to the feast. And Joseph was only being obedient to God's command here in Exodus 23, where it says three times in the year, all thy males shall appear before the Lord Jehovah. And the three times were at the times of these three feasts, these three main feasts. Now, it's interesting how God does emphasize the fulfillment of these feasts, or to say it another way, the spiritual fulfillment of these feasts. These feasts were to be carried out historically. The Jews were to observe them. The males were to go to Jerusalem, but it took place every year, year after year. Just as the sacrifices took place year after year, the high priest year after year went into the Holy of Holies to offer up sacrifice on the Day of Atonement. And yet that sacrifice pointed to a particular sacrifice that Christ had made from the foundation of the world and that he would later appear in time to demonstrate when he would be born of the Virgin Mary and and then go about the days of his ministry. Well, let's look at Christ as he is the fulfillment of the Passover. For instance, in John chapter 1, in John chapter 1, John the Baptist proclaims in verse 29, The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him, and saith, Behold, the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. 
Jesus, of course, is the one that John is speaking of. And Jesus is called the Lamb of God. And it so happens that Christ was born in 7 B.C., 1440 years after God first brought to pass the Passover in Egypt. Remember, God commanded that the Israelites were to kill the Passover and put the the blood of the lamb on the doorposts as the messenger of death passed through Egypt and all the firstborn of the Egyptians died. But none of the firstborn of Israel died because they had the blood on their doorposts and, and the blood of the lamb pointed to the death of Christ in making payment for their sins so they would not have to die themselves. And Jesus is the Lamb of God. So he entered into the world in order to go to the cross to demonstrate that he was that Lamb. And it it so happens that when Christ went to the cross... It was at the time of the Passover. We read in John chapter 19, beginning in verse 13. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus forth and sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement, but in the Hebrew, Gabbatha. And it was the preparation of the Passover and about the sixth hour. And he saith unto the Jews, Behold your king. But they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. Then delivered he him, therefore unto them, to be crucified. And they took Jesus and led him away. And he, bearing his cross, went forth into a place called the place of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him. So Christ was crucified. It was the preparation of the Passover. Remember, it was the night before that he was eating the Passover supper with his disciples in the upper room. And now it was Friday and he was going to the cross. The Lamb of God was going to be sacrificed. He was going to be offered as the Passover lamb in order to demonstrate that payment had been made by the Lord Jesus Christ for the sins of his elect people. And God calls Christ very specifically the Passover lamb in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. It says in verse 7, Purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. So there God very directly states it. Christ our Passover, the Lamb of God, is sacrificed for us. And he was sacrificed at the very time of the Passover, and in so doing, that spiritually fulfilled the Passover feast. 
and never again should a Passover feast be held. Just as never again should there be any sacrifices, that feast was spiritually fulfilled in Christ going to the cross, and and that was the first feast that God spoke of in Exodus 23, of the three main feasts. Then we see that he fulfilled the feast at the very time of the feast. It, it wasn't some other time of the year, but it was at the very time the feast should be held that God fulfilled the feast. Now, the second main feast is first fruits. Let's go to Leviticus 23. And first, let's read verses 10 through 12. Speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, When ye be come into the land which I give unto you, and shall reap the harvest thereof, then ye shall bring a sheaf of the firstfruits of your harvest unto the priest. And he shall wave the sheaf before Jehovah to be accepted for you. On the morrow, after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. And you shall offer that day when you wave the sheaf a he lamb without blemish of the first year for a burnt offering unto Jehovah. Now this tells us that there was to be a sheaf of the first fruits. Now a sheaf is part of the fruit. So it was to be, as it said in another place, the first of the first fruits. And this word translated as first fruits is Strong's number 7225, Resheth, and this points to the offering of Jesus Christ. He was the first of the first fruits, as we read also in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It says in verse 23, But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits. Afterward, they that are Christ at his coming. So uh, sometimes we can we can be a little confused by how God uses this word firstfruits. Is he speaking of Christ or is he speaking of um, those that he saves? And we have to just keep in mind that this particular word, 7225, Resheth, points to Christ, who is the first of the first fruits, and that sheaf that was to be waved pointed to him. And notice at the same time, a lamb without blemish was to be offered for a burnt offering. So there also in the lamb, we see Jesus being offered up. And this connects the Feast of First Fruits with the Passover. As Christ going to the cross is the first of the first fruits, as he dies as the Lamb of God, and that's the wave offering, and then following that is to be the Feast of First Fruits. As we go on to read here in Leviticus 23, beginning in verse 15, and shall count unto you from the morrow after the Sabbath, from the day that ye brought the sheaf of the wave offering, seven Sabbaths shall be complete. Even unto the morrow after the seventh Sabbath 
shall ye number fifty days. And ye shall offer a new meat offering unto Jehovah. Ye shall bring out of your habitations two wave loaves of two-tenth deals. They shall be of fine flour. They shall be baked with leaven. They are the first fruits unto Jehovah. So the morrow after the Sabbath, from the day that ye brought the sheaf of the wave offering, seven Sabbaths shall be complete. And seven Sabbaths, since the Sabbath comes uh, once every seven days, seven Sabbaths is seven weeks or 49 days. And then it says, even unto the morrow after the seventh Sabbath. So go seven Sabbaths and then go to the morrow. And seven Sabbaths are 49 days and the morrow would be the 50th day. And God makes sure we understand that. Uh, Even unto the morrow after the seventh Sabbath shall ye number 50 days. And, And so that's where first fruits gets its Greek name of Pentecost. Pente in the Greek points to five or fifty. Pentecost is named Pentecost because of the fifty-day period. And yet it is the feast of first fruits. And we we read in Acts chapter two, and this would have been um, right after Christ went to the cross. And Christ going to the cross activated also the spiritual fulfillment for the Feast of Pentecost. Because in previous years, the Passover would be held, but Christ had not gone to the cross. In previous years, the Feast of Firstfruits or Pentecost would be held, but Christ had not gone to the cross. And so it could not be said that the feast had fully come or or the spiritual fulfillment of the feast had arrived as yet until Jesus went to the cross. He became that sheaf, the first of the first fruits, and then the timeline was activated. The 50-day period went into effect, and the next feast in 33 AD for Pentecost 50 days later, would be the spiritual fulfillment of that feast. And that's why in Acts 2, in verse 1, it says, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, fully come, and the only reason God would say that is because it was the second of the three major feasts that he spoke about in Exodus 23 and other places, the three times in the year that you are to appear before me and and bring the fruit, don't appear before me empty. And the first feast, Passover, was spiritually fulfilled just um, 50 days earlier when Christ went to the cross and he was the first of the first fruits. And now was time, finally, after... Um, so many centuries, year after year, of carrying out this feast and and the ceremonial aspects of it, as the Jews would do as God commanded to varying degrees, but it didn't matter. 
It's just what God commanded that mattered and the spiritual fulfillment of the feast that mattered. Of course, it mattered uh, individually for those Jews concerning their level of obedience. But the important thing for God was he wrote it into law in order for it to have its spiritual fulfillment. And now in 33 AD, the feast of Pentecost was fully come. And it says in verse 2, And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Of course, it continues and uh, the disciples of Christ are speaking in known tongues, other languages, so that people from many nations can understand them. But the important aspect is the Holy Spirit is poured out on the day of Pentecost. And as a result, look at verse 41 of Acts 2. Then they that gladly receive his word were baptized. And the same day, there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. So on that day of Pentecost, God saved about 3,000 souls, pointing as three, and the number 3,000 would be three in multiples of ten. Uh, Three and ten times ten times ten, or ten to the third power, to again emphasize the purpose of God, that it was the complete purpose of God concerning the Feast of Pentecost. It had fully come, and now he would begin to evangelize the nations of the world. He would begin the church age and would complete his purposes for the nations uh, concerning the churches and establishing his word, as the churches would bring the Bible into the nations of the world, and God would save many more souls than had been saved in the Old Testament period of the early righteous reign, that, that Old Testament which produced the fruit of Christ, now would be the time of first fruits unto God and uh, and and this uh little demonstration uh, in acts 2 of saving about 3000 uh really wasn't that little when we we realize that uh there there were very rare instances in the old testament of so many being saved i guess the um the uh evangelization of Nineveh where god saved many there uh would be one exception, but God was letting it be known. Satan was bound that uh, the gospel would now go into the world and God would accomplish his purpose for uh, his people through the the churches and congregations that he was establishing. Now we, we read in Revelation 14, of those that uh, God typifies as being saved as the first fruits, as it says in Revelation 14, beginning in verse 3, 
and they sung as it were a new song before the throne, and before the four living creatures, and the elders. And no man could learn that song but the hundred and forty and four thousand which were redeemed from the earth. These are they which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are they which follow the Lamb, whithersoever he goeth. These were redeemed from among men, being the first fruits unto God and to the Lamb. So uh, very clearly, the first fruits here identify with those that God has redeemed or saved. And uh, God uses the figure of 144,000 to represent all those saved during the church age, the 1955-year period of the church age, beginning on Pentecost in 33 AD and continuing until the day before Pentecost, May 21, in 1988. Because if God had gone to the very day of Pentecost again, it would have been as though he were renewing the church age another year. But by concluding the age of the church the day before, it was going from Pentecost unto Pentecost, and then the church age ended. And just as we had a connection from the Passover to first fruits, well, now we come to the end of the church age or the end of the early righteous reign period, the end of the gathering of first fruits. And now we come to the final season, the final period of reign, which would be the latter reign. But that does not come immediately. There is 2300 evening mornings from May 21, 1988 through September 7th, 1994, in which virtually no one is being saved in the world. And then on the first day of the Hebrew seventh month, it would be the day of the blowing of the silver trumpet to signal the Jubilee, if there were a Jubilee in 1994, was a jubilee year. So on that day, after 2,300 days, it was as though the trumpet was blown and the jubilee year was brought in. And again, God began to evangelize the world a second time. He poured out the Holy Spirit once again with the latter rain to save a great multitude outside of the churches and congregations that were out there in the nations, they would be that precious fruit. They would be the final fruits that would be brought in for this final feast that must be kept. God had fulfilled Passover at the time of the Passover. He began the time of first fruits on the very day of first fruits. He concluded the gathering of first fruits the day before, and so it went Pentecost to Pentecost. And so we see, especially in May 21, 1988, that God is still working or operating according to the Hebrew calendars, the biblical calendars, 
And also, as 1994 was a jubilee year, and that's when he began to evangelize the world, that the calendar dates that were instituted in the days of the Bible were projected into the New Testament era, into our very time, and God was still working, fulfilling the dates, uh, just as he had previously, and he ended the church age the day before Pentecost, and then began the Great Tribulation and the latter reign. The Great Tribulation began 1988, the latter reign began 1994, in a jubilee year, and then God began to gather the final fruits in saving all of that great multitude. Now, let's go back to Leviticus 23. Leviticus 23, and we'll read about tabernacles and the Feast of Ingathering. It says in Leviticus 23, in verse 34, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, The fifteenth day of this seventh month shall be the Feast of Tabernacles, for seven days unto Jehovah. And then let's go down to verse 39 of Leviticus 23, and I'll read through the end of the chapter. Also, in the fifteenth day of the seventh month, when ye have gathered in the fruit of the land, ye shall keep a feast unto Jehovah seven days. On the first day shall be a Sabbath, and on the eighth day shall be a Sabbath, and shall take you on the first day the boughs of goodly trees, branches of palm trees, and the boughs of thick trees, and willows of the brook, and shall rejoice before Jehovah your God seven days. And you shall keep it a feast unto Jehovah seven days in the year. It shall be a statute forever in your generations. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month. You shall dwell in booths, Seven days, all that are Israelites born shall dwell in booths, that your generations may know that I made the children of Israel to dwell in booths. When I brought them out of the land of Egypt, I am Jehovah your God. And Moses declared unto the children of Israel the feast of Jehovah. Now, uh, of course, tabernacles means booths. So the feast of tabernacles gets its name, its name is derived from the time that Israel left Egypt, just as the Passover feast has its origin in the plague upon the firstborn in Egypt, so too is the Feast of Tabernacles related to the coming out of Egypt as God wrought that great deliverance of his people and he delivered all the Jews at once. Not one was left behind. And they went out of Egypt. And yet the Lord made them wander in the wilderness uh, due to their unfaithfulness and rebelliousness for 40 years. And during the 40-year wilderness sojourn, which God speaks of as the day of temptation or the day of testing, he caused them to dwell in tabernacles. So the Feast of Tabernacles has everything to do 
with the 40-year period of Israel's wandering in the wilderness. And that is very important for us to know. It's very significant, as we'll look at a little later, as we consider some other scripture in Deuteronomy, and, and we'll see how it relates to our present time. But let's go to uh, first Deuteronomy 16, Deuteronomy 16, beginning in verse 13. It says, Thou shalt observe the Feast of Tabernacles seven days, after that thou hast gathered in thy corn and thy wine. Now that's the second time we actually read that, back in Leviticus 23, verse 39. Let me read that verse again. Also on the fifteenth day of the seventh month, when ye have gathered in the fruit of the land, ye shall keep a feast unto Jehovah seven days. And there it uses the past tense, gathered. And here in Deuteronomy 16, it says, Thou shalt observe the Feast of Tabernacles seven days, after that thou hast gathered in thy corn and thy wine. And what does corn and wine point to? The fruit of the harvest. And this means tabernacles is to be held after the fruit has been gathered in. Or, to say it spiritually, tabernacles is to be observed or held after the elect have become saved. And that, of course, ties in with God saving all of his elect prior to May 21, 2011. And that also would relate to delivering all of his people out of spiritual bondage, out of the kingdom of darkness. As the Israelites came out of Egypt, that pictures that and so forth. Well, let, let me keep reading here in Deuteronomy 16, 13. After that thou hast gathered in thy corn and thy wine, and thou shalt rejoice in thy feast, thou and thy son, and thy daughter, and thy manservant, and thy maidservant, and the Levite, the stranger, and the fatherless, and the widow, that are within thy gates. Seven days shalt thou keep a solemn feast unto Jehovah thy God, in the place which Jehovah shall choose. Because Jehovah thy God shall bless thee in all thine increase, and in all the works of thine hands. Therefore thou shalt surely rejoice three times in a year, shall all thy males appear before Jehovah thy God in the place which he shall choose, in the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is another way of saying Passover, and in the Feast of Weeks, another way of saying First Fruits, and in the Feast of Tabernacles, and they shall not appear before Jehovah empty, because you've already gathered in your fruit, So you come with an offering of the fruit to God. And and of course, uh, there's a a lot of interesting things about this spiritually. Well, number one, notice how God makes a point of saying, in the place which he shall choose, these feasts will take place. And it so happened that the Passover was spiritually fulfilled in Israel, national Israel. Christ 
was hanging on the cross outside of the gates of Jerusalem. And so that was one place that God chose. And the Feast of Pentecost, or first fruits, was not fulfilled with Israel, but it was fulfilled in the churches. It dealt with the establishing of the church age. And, and so that was a completely different place than Israel. It was God actually changing from Israel to the church. And the third place for the final feast, well, uh, since God called his people out of the church to save that great multitude, and his people are remaining outside of the church, that final place is in the world outside of the churches and congregations where where the Lord is dealing with individuals. It's actually a different place of fulfillment for each of the three feasts. But let's just look at another phrase back in Leviticus 23. Again, beginning in verse 42, Ye shall dwell in booths, or tabernacles, seven days, and all that are Israelites born shall dwell in booths. That your generations may know that I made the children of Israel to dwell in booths, When I brought them out of the land of Egypt, I am Jehovah your God. So the Feast of Tabernacles relates to the coming out of Egypt. God very definitely uh, connects the two. He, He joins them together. And the coming out of Egypt was after a great deliverance and into a severe testing time as we'll see here in Deuteronomy chapter 8, it says, beginning in verse 1, All the commandments which I command thee this day shall ye observe to do, that ye may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which Jehovah swear unto your fathers. And thou shalt remember all the way which Jehovah thy God led thee these forty years in the wilderness to humble thee, and to prove thee, to know what was in thine heart, whether thou wouldest keep his commandments or no. And he humbled thee, and suffered thee to hunger, and fed thee with manna, which thou knewest not, neither did thy fathers know, that he might make thee know that man does not live by bread only, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of Jehovah, doth man live. And here God is letting it be known that he brought Israel into the wilderness for 40 years. Of course, the number 40 itself identifies with testing or tempting or proving, which are basically all synonyms. And and God says in, in actual words that he led these 40 years in the wilderness to humble thee and to prove thee. You know, when Israel first came out of Egypt, they, they were probably, um, exalting. They were exuberant, triumphant, uh, through their God. They had just brought the mightiest army in the world, the mightiest nation in the world to its knees and and, and uh, look at all that God did for them. Very easily they could have been puffed up. And there was a great deliverance 
every one of the Jews held captive in a cruel bondage was set free and delivered. And yet they came out of the gates of Egypt and very quickly uh, everything changed and, and there, there was a harsh reality. They were in a wilderness. And of course God prolonged that wilderness sojourn and he did it for these reasons to humble them, to prove them, to know what was in their heart. He says it again in verses 15 and 16 of Deuteronomy 8, who led thee through that great and terrible wilderness, wherein were fiery serpents and scorpions and drought, where there was no water, who brought thee forth water out of the rock of flint, who fed thee in the wilderness with manna, which thy fathers knew not, that he might humble thee, that he might prove thee, to do thee good at thy latter end. And and notice also how God provided miraculous bread from heaven and, and miraculous water for them to drink, which sustained them and, and kept them going throughout the 40-year period. Now we know the vast majority of Israelites were unsaved, but the spiritual picture is of a great deliverance out of Satan's kingdom. And and that's what took place on May 21, 2011, when God saved the last one of his elect. He saved the great multitude, and all spiritual Israel came out of captivity, and we had thought that that would be a great day of triumph, of exaltation, of being lifted up, into the heavens with the rapture and the resurrection, and it was not. And very quickly, very quickly, it it turned into a dry, thirsty land uh, where we didn't even know what was going on. There was mass confusion spiritually, and quickly some began to murmur and complain, and 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 people wondered, well, where... Will we find spiritual food and drink? As we turn to the Bible, we didn't know what to understand. And yet, God provided spiritual food and spiritual drink. And and he has sustained his people throughout this period of time after that great day of deliverance of May 21, 2011. And he has also revealed a very likely duration for this period of time of 1,600 days, which breaks down to 40 times 40, testing, severe testing, uh, that's about as strong an emphasis as you can place on a number 40 when you give 40 multiples of 40. That is just, just an incredibly strong emphasis on a time of testing. And and that's because God has done the same thing for the same reasons, to humble us and to prove us to see what is in our heart. And that remembers what he did to Hezekiah in Second Chronicles 32, verse 31. It says, Howbeit in the business of the ambassadors of the princes of Babylon, 
who sent unto him to inquire of the wonder that was done in the land, God left him. And this word left is translated as forsake. God forsook him, not in a sense of leaving him in salvation. The Spirit of God still indwelled him. But as it goes on to say, God left him to try him, that he might know all that was in his heart. And the word try is the same word as prove back in Deuteronomy. To prove him, to know what was in his heart. And that's what the Lord has done for all of those that profess to be true believers, that profess to be his people. In these days, after the tribulation, we we have entered into a period uh, which can only be likened to spiritually dwelling in booths. The, the time of testing, when Israel dwelt in tabernacles in the wilderness, God was severely trying them. When we today are being severely tried, it's as though we are dwelling in booths, in tabernacles, and thereby spiritually fulfilling the Feast of Tabernacles, which was a feast designed by God to commemorate the time when Israel dwelt in booths in the wilderness. So I think we can see how that ties in. The feast that God instituted was to remember, to recall the time when Israel was severely tested in the wilderness, when it dwelled in booths or tabernacles, And likewise, God spiritually is going to fulfill that feast when he brings his people again out of not Pharaoh's kingdom, but Satan's kingdom of darkness and causes a a great deliverance to take place. And then he tries his people in this time period we're presently in for a very likely 1600 days And during the entire time of trial, it's as though we're observing the feast, keeping the Feast of Tabernacles. And the Feast of Tabernacles was a feast that was said to be seven days long, and then there was an eighth day, and then God uh, reveals actually a ninth day, which is equivalent to the eighth day, and we could show that from the Bible. And that's why the Feast of Tabernacles begins on the 15th day of the 7th Hebrew month, but it's the 23rd day, the ninth day, that is called the last day. And that was October 21, 2011, when we had thought that would be the day after five months. The last day of Tabernacles, it was, but it was not the spiritual fulfillment of the Feast of Tabernacles. That was the 23rd day of the Hebrew 7th month. Likewise, October 7th, 2015, is that ninth day, the equivalent to the eighth, the 23rd day of the Hebrew seventh month, the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles. Now we, uh, before closing, just want to take a look at the Bible's language concerning the last day. And, and then we'll see how the Feast of Tabernacles being fulfilled now, will be completely fulfilled on its last day. In John chapter 6, 
we read in verse 39, And this is the Father's will which has sent me, that of all which he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. Now there, the, the last day phrase is found the first time, or the first time we've read it in the Bible, but there's a total of eight occasions, eight places in the Bible, that phrase, the last day, is found. And many of them are in the Gospel of John, here in verse 39, and again in verse 40 of John 6, And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son, and believeth on him, may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Now, what does that mean? I will raise him up at the last day. It means the resurrection or the rapture. It, it, it means leaving this world. And the last day, obviously, is the last day of Earth's existence. In verse 44, the third time, No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Again, very consistent. And then in verse 54, Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I'll raise him up at the last day. Four times in John 6, in every instance, it has to do with the end of the world and the time when God raises his people up. In John 11, it says in verse 24, Martha saith unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. That's the fifth time that we've seen this phrase. Every time, every time it's been used. Last day, the final day, and here very clearly, since it's related to the resurrection, of course, it's the end of the world. In John chapter 12, in verse 48, he that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words has one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. Now this also relates to the entire period of judgment, a prolonged period, but it identifies with the very last day of the judgment time and the end of the world. Uh, so how many is that? Four, five, six times... God has used the phrase last day, raise him up at the last day, resurrect at the last day. The word shall judge at the last day. And then in the other two places where the last day phrase is used, it's found in association with the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, is is, is that coincidental? No, uh, because this is the Bible. And there is nothing in the Bible coincidental. God writes everything with a purpose and plan. And we find, no matter what words we're searching out, that other scripture defines and, and fills up and completes thoughts and ideas. And, and that's the way God teaches. He would have us search the Bible regarding that phrase, the last day. Because there's a third and final feast. He spiritually fulfilled Passover at the time of the Passover. 
that when Christ went to the cross, he spiritually fulfilled Pentecost at the time of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit was poured out, and that third feast, which the Bible says comes in the end of the year, is a feast of tabernacles, which relates to great deliverance, a time of severe testing, but then we come to the last day, which through this language that God has assigned to the phrase, God has defined that phrase, the last day, to mean the end of the world. Another place in the Old Testament, the only time this phrase, the last day, is found is in the book of Nehemiah concerning the Feast of Tabernacles. And it says in Nehemiah 8, verse 1, And all the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street. Now, I wanted to read that because it says all the people gathered themselves together. Remember, the fruit had to be gathered in before you hold the feast. This gathering together uh, as one man points to the complete body of Christ. Christ would be the man forming as all the elective become saved. And then there's a great focus on reading God's word or on the Bible in Nehemiah 8 concerning the Feast of Tabernacles, which would also relate to the manna um, that the Israelites enjoyed during their time of dwelling in booths. And then we read in verse 16 of Nehemiah 8, so the people went forth and brought them and made themselves booths, everyone upon the roof of his house and in their courts and in the courts of the house of God and in the street of the water gate and the street of the gate of Ephraim and all the congregation of them that were come again out of the captivity made booths and sat under the booths for since the days of Joshua, the son of Nun, unto that day had not the children of Israel done so. And there was very great gladness. Also day by day from the first day unto the last day, he read in the book of the law of God, and they kept the feast seven days. And on the eighth day was a solemn assembly according unto the manner. So God here filled them with much scripture from the first day to the last day. And likewise, spiritually, the Feast of Tabernacles does involve God opening up his word and information coming forth from the Bible that had never previously been known, that now is like manna from heaven. It is a bread that our forefathers never knew of, as God spiritually nourishes his people and and feeds his sheep during these days after the tribulation and unto that last day. Now, the, the eighth and final time that this phrase, last day, is used is in the Gospel of John, again, in John chapter 7, in the context of the Feast of Tabernacles. As it says in verse 2 of John 7, Now the Jews' Feast of Tabernacles was at hand. And then Christ's brethren were critical of him, and uh, said in verse 4, For there is no man that doeth anything in secret, and he himself seeketh to be known openly. If thou do these things, show thyself to the world. For neither 
did his brethren believe in him. Then Jesus said unto them, My time is not yet come, but your time is always ready. That is, the time to spiritually fulfill the feast was not yet come. It would not come until the end of the world. And then in John 7, verse 37, it says, In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. Now, we don't have time today to show from the Bible and in the book of Revelation where this very statement is tied to eternal life. It's tied to the going to Christ in the new heavens and new earth and learning from him and ever more drinking of Christ and so forth and having our spiritual thirst quenched eternally. That's what this phrase is really pointing to. It is, of course, the time of the end of the world. That's what the last day uh, means. The last day of the Feast of Tabernacles relates to the end of the world. And that's why October 7th, 2015, is such an outstanding possibility for the end of the world because it is the 40th 40. And remember, Israel only wandered in the wilderness 40 years. That is, they dwelled in booths 40 years, not 41 or any longer. And therefore, October 7th, 2015 is the last day of tabernacles or the last day of dwelling in booths. It's it's the travel day, the time to stop dwelling in booths, that temporary residence, and go home. And And so for this reason also, there's many other reasons, it is a, a very excellent reason for God to end the world spiritually because the completed wilderness sojourn or dwelling in this world after a great deliverance has been completed. Thanks for joining us for eBible Fellowship Sunday Bible Study. For more information or to hear additional Bible studies, be sure to visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com.